0: Well, today is the final sermon in our sermon series called Short Answers to Big Questions. And it ends, ironically, with what was perhaps the single most important question that Jesus himself ever asked. shouldn't surprise us that he asked this question. After all, he loved to ask questions of people throughout the Gospels. He asked over 300 questions, in fact. He He even answered a few of them himself, but it was this question on a high mountain peak on the Mount of Transfiguration just prior to the text that Jess just read for you moments ago where Jesus privately asked his most faithful followers this question, who do you say that I am? In many ways, we have saved the most important question for last on this Transfiguration Sunday because your answer to that question, who do you say that Jesus is, may be the single most important answer you give to any question in your entire faith journey. It's a question that has been reflected on and pondered by some of the world's greatest thinkers and writers, and leaders, and artists all throughout history. Certainly, the Hollywood film industry has enjoyed pondering this very question. For over a hundred years, film after film has been made about Jesus of Nazareth, beginning in 1905 with a film called The Life and Passion of Jesus Christ. And even most recently, executive producer Mark Burnett produced in 2014, a film called Son of God. However, none of those movies is the one that is most frequently cited by some of the greatest biblical scholars and theologians of our time. From N.T. Wright to John Dominic Crossan to Rick Warren to Brian McLaren, they all have cited one particular and peculiar movie to talk about the significance of Jesus Christ. And I'm referring, of course, to none other than Talladega Nights, (laughs) the ballad of Ricky Bobby. (laughs) I was very tempted to show you a clip from that movie, (laughs) but I couldn't find a clean clip from that movie to show you. At any rate, if you've seen the movie, you know the scene that I'm about to refer to. It takes place at the dinner table, where there, seated at the head of the table, is none other than the famous NASCAR driver, Ricky Bobby himself, accompanied by his wife, his two young boys, Walker and Texas Ranger, and his elderly father and his best friend favorite friend, Cal Naughton Jr. And there at the dinner table, Ricky begins to offer grace with these words. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, or as our brothers in the South call you, Jesus. Dear Tiny Infant Jesus, to which his wife Carly interrupts, "Um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up you don't always have to call them baby. It's a bit odd to pray to a baby. To which Ricky snaps back, well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus the best. And I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can pray to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whatever Jesus you want. Eventually, Ricky's pal Cal pipes in. He says, "I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says, 'I want to be formal, but I'm here to party.' Because I like to party, and I like my Jesus to party." And then one of Ricky's little boy—I don't know if it was Chet Walker or Texas Ranger—but one of the boys says. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja (laughs) fighting off evil samurai. So then after this whole circus is concluded, Ricky finally decides to end the prayer with these words. Okay. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, you don't even know a word yet, yet so infant and cuddly, But still omnipotent. We just thank you for all the races we've won and the $21.2 million that we've won. We just thank you for all your power and grace, dear baby God. Amen. It has been said that rather than Jesus becoming a window for us into the kingdom of heaven, we have turned him into a mirror. To reflect back to us not who Jesus is, but what we believe about ourselves and what we believe Jesus is for us. So it becomes far too easy to turn that question, who is Jesus, into who do we want him to be for ourselves? Friends, this is a natural tendency. We've all done it, subconsciously or otherwise. We all believe in a certain kind of Jesus that most fits our preconceived notions. There are those of us here, and even myself included at many points in my life, who have thought, who have what theologians have called a high Christology, a high belief in Jesus, which means that we believe that Jesus is lofted and high and lifted up sovereign over all creation, seated on a throne, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of the entire universe. It's a very prevalent kind of Christology in Christianity today. It is symbolized, it is captured by some of our most favorite hymns, like All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, or Rejoice the Lord is King, or Fairest Lord Jesus Ruler of All Nature. These are songs that emphasize the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is fully divine. And this was a position that's not new. It was actually advocated in the early church by a group of people called the monophysites. Monophysite meaning one nature. They're the people that believe that Jesus essentially had one singular nature, and that nature was essentially divine and that's why when you look at early icons and early paintings of jesus it's always jesus who is high and lifted up and the earth is down below and he is seated on a throne and ruling over all of creation but then there are those of us who reflect back into that mirror with a different picture of jesus not a high jesus but a low Jesus, a low Christology, essentially a very human Christology. A picture of a Jesus who is a human being just like us, breathed our air, walked our land, who is able to relate to our needs, who knows what you're going through because he's been there and he's done that. And he's intimately connected to our lives. Perhaps there's no greater hymn that captures a low Christology Jesus for us than that classic beautiful song, In the Garden. Because in those times of trial, in those times when you are suffering and needing hope the most, there's something comforting about a low Christology, about a Jesus who walks with us and talks with us and tells us that we are His own. This was a position that was first offered in the early church by a man named Arius and his followers named the Arians living in a town called Antioch. Now there is no reason for us to judge people who are either high or low in their Christology who emphasize Jesus' divinity or his humanity. But it is important to remember that when we begin to answer the question "Who was Jesus, we believe that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. And even though it is our tendency to prefer one or the other, the most important part of the answer to the question, who is Jesus, is to say that it's not an either-or. Jesus was fully human and fully divine, which is why eventually the early church decided that both the Monophysites and the Arians were both heretical. And they came to the conclusion in 451 A.D. at a council in Chalcedon that Jesus was in fact human and fully divine and came up with that classic phrase that Jesus was perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man. In other words... The church has decided that one plus one equals one. One nature plus one nature equals one nature in the person of Jesus. Now, that may be a mystery for us to try to figure out, it may be ultimately a conundrum as to how it works. But frankly, we can be glad that it does. We can be glad that it does because Jesus then is human enough to connect to our very lives. Jesus is human enough to identify with your suffering, but divine enough to draw you out of it. Jesus is human enough to meet you right where you are, but divine enough to not leave you there the full humanity and full divinity of Jesus is a fundamental part of our Christology and it is captured by the way perfectly in the response of Peter himself when on the Mount of Transfiguration he responded to Jesus with these words I believe that you are the Christ high Christology The son of the living God. Low Christology. But frankly, I can't leave this answer of who Jesus is without talking about what is perhaps the single most important component of our belief in Jesus today. It is one thing to believe about the full humanity and divinity of Jesus, but we must also affirm this that long before there was an Apostles' Creed or any kind of formal doctrine in the church, one of the first and earliest things that the earliest Christians ever said about Jesus is this phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. From the earliest Christians, this was the single most important and the most dangerous thing that they could say about Jesus. Because to call Jesus Lord means that they were saying that Caesar was not. The moment they defied the Roman emperor was the same moment they were signing a death sentence over their heads. Frankly, you and I today live in a very different time. We can spout off that phrase, Jesus Lord, Jesus is Lord without any kind of worry about the cost associated with it. And so it's far too easy to make that proclamation of faith without even a full understanding of the cost that is related in doing so. But make no mistake. If you really believe that Jesus is Lord of your life, then it is the single most important thing that you can affirm in your entire being. Because to call Jesus Lord means that you are not. Because it means that you are willing to surrender the fullness of who you are. It means you're willing to yield your sense of control over your own life. To willfully give to God all of your obedience and surrender to God your perspective, your thoughts, your actions, and your whole will over to jesus the only answer that matters to the question of who jesus is is whether or not you will make him your lord because what is implied in that answer jesus is lord is that you are not you are not the one who gets to call your own shots You are not the one who gets to determine your own destiny. You are not the one that gets to carve out your own future. Despite our sentiment these days that we are self-made individuals who get to dictate our own destinies, it is clear that to call ourselves a Christian means that we must call him our Lord. And it means that you are not your own God for you is not simply there to meet your needs or to follow your agendas or to bend to your will. God, once again, is not a cosmic vending machine to give you what you want. What it means is that you become willing to serve this Jesus in whatever way Jesus wants to lead you, even if that means finding Jesus where we least expect it and where we'd rather not go among the poor, and the hungry, and the homeless, the lost, and the destitute. So make no mistake about it, this homeless Jesus sculpture that we are dedicating as a church this Wednesday at noon down at the portico is not simply an acknowledgement of a public art piece It's not simply a polemical statement. It's not just a symbol for homelessness. As Sally said earlier in the service, this is primarily and ultimately a theological statement about what it means to call Jesus Lord. Because the Lordship of Jesus requires that we set aside our own agendas and step outside of our own comfort zones and dare to go out and serve those very people that everyone else would rather ignore. You can't answer the question, who is Jesus, without answering the question, will you make him your Lord? And if you ever need a reminder of what lordship means, if you ever want a symbol of the lordship of Jesus, then all you have to do is look over here to the communion table. This Jesus wants to meet us there. He has prepared a feast for us. And all we have to do is come to that table and all we have to do is say grace, not like Ricky Bobby And pray only to a Jesus that fits our preconceived notions. And pray to a Jesus that bends toward our will and agenda. We approach this table with a sense of awe and a sense of wonder and a sense of mystery. In a belief that this experience of Holy Communion is itself fully human and fully divine. As we taste with our own lips, and ingest into our own body the bread and the cup and experience something that is far beyond our ability to comprehend it, but can draw us out of our own lives into a deep sense of mystery and awe. Fully human. Fully divine. So, on this last Sunday of this sermon series, for one final time, I want to offer you a short answer to the big question. And so, let's start the timer. Who is Jesus? Jesus was a real historical figure who came to earth to live a fully human life. He walked our earth. He breathed our air. He experienced our sorrows. He assumed our suffering. But Jesus is also the Christ the second person of the Trinity, a fully divine part of the Godhead who lives and reigns over all creation and desires to rule in our hearts. But ultimately, this Jesus wants to be our Lord, the one who calls us to deeper obedience and greater purpose, the one who can be found in, of all places, in the least among us the one who loves us unconditionally and calls us to the same, and the one who can be found in the sacrament of Holy Communion, in the bread and the cup. And it is this Jesus who is asking you the question right now. Who is Jesus for you? And will you make him your Lord?